Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, September 21st, we are studying Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. The Lord knows, the Lord sees all people, whether that person is wise or foolish. Wisdom, therefore, pursues the way of the Lord and his righteousness. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Christopher Jackson. Pastor Jackson serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. Pastor Jackson, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks for having me on, Pastor Ebel. As we get started this morning, Pastor Jackson, just give us general information on the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of stuff here, obviously. Topics kind of come and go. They come back. They go back. It's all over the place, it seems, sometimes. What do we need to know about Proverbs in general, wisdom literature, that's going to help us with our text for today? Yeah, so let's just talk you know, sort of more broadly about wisdom literature, and then we'll talk a, a little bit more about um, Proverbs itself. So, you know, wisdom literature obviously is, um, uh, you know, the main topic is is wisdom, um, and in and sort of the emphasis of of wisdom literature, I would say, if you would boil it down to its essence, is this: it's the appropriation of God's perspective on things within our own hearts to begin to see and to understand and to um, to grow into um, to grow into our under, well, to grow into God's understanding of things as people who have been made by grace through faith in Christ, people who have been made um, lovers of God and, and lovers of his way. And I, and I choose that uh, phrase deliberately um, because, as you know, many of us know, at least, uh, is that, you know, the, the one of the final books of the wisdom literature is the Song of Songs, which... Um, you know, relates how how we come into this relationship of love with God and His wisdom, and and He with us, and and that's what happens to us um, when the Holy Spirit gives us faith. That's what happens to us when the Holy Spirit, um, by means of the Word and the sacraments, um, assures us of our justification before God, assures us of our forgiveness and mercy, so that. No longer like Adam and Eve do we um, shrink away from God's presence, and that's actually a theme that comes up here in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 15. We're going to be uh, discussing that, actually. No longer are we like Adam and Eve who flee from God's presence, but rather we gladly dwell in the presence of God. And that, that presence of God um, transforms our hearts and our minds to be conformed um, you know, as St. Paul says, ever changing from, from glory to glory, ever more being transformed into his image, um, something which is begun in part now and, and completed in, in the return of Christ. But it is certainly begun now. And um, this is where Proverbs comes in, because uh, Proverbs is one of these—is uh, is a book which 
helps us to see and understand what that looks like in really everyday life application. Um, you know, I think that it can get short shrift because, you know, it's just this, this um, collection of sayings, um, some of which don't like necess- happen necessarily. And we'll get to that, the difference between like a proverb and a promise. Right. Mm. But, um, you know, really, uh, when we are looking at the proverbs, um, this is this is something that, for example, we might call casuistry, where uh, we're applying the the principles of of God's law uh, to, you know, what this looks like in the life. Um, you know, Horace Hummel, this great um, this great theologian in Missouri Synod history. A uh, great biblical theologian um, talked about Proverbs, saying that that essentially Proverbs is um, the third use of the law, uh, and I think that's about right. Uh, it helps us understand a little bit more um, what the application of the law looks like in the life of the redeemed. Um, I also love Proverbs because uh, <laughs> it's not just a book for dudes, but it, it kind of is. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, Proverbs is um, a book which is written uh, from Solomon to his sons, um, you know, maybe about the age of 12 to 16 or something like that. And he's reflecting to them to say, you know, um, to be a righteous man, um, these are the sorts of things that you need to keep in mind and uh, think about as you grow into your role um, as, as royalty. Now, now sadly, uh, as we look into, uh, you know, the life of Solomon and his sons, it, it doesn't look like necessarily these uh, proverbs were followed. Um, but there's wisdom in this as well, I think, as well. Um, as we look at the totality of the book of Proverbs, the, Solomon is not necessarily saying that, that my life, is um, reflective of this. I mean, yeah. the totality of the life that we see in Proverbs is, for example, like uh, it, it uh, proclaims the goodness of monogamy, right? And that's certainly not what um, you know, Solomon's life looked like. Uh, so uh, these are lessons in part learned uh, by Solomon, um, you know, in the school of hard knocks. Uh, this, these are lessons which certainly not all of us, most of us, None of us, save for Christ, are going to fully appropriate in this life, but they're good lessons nonetheless. Um, I do want to talk a second, because I think this is good for us to bear in mind as we get into these individual proverbs. Um, You know, these are proverbs and not promises. So these are talking more along the lines of, if you do this sort of thing, this is what will tend to happen. Okay, um, and obviously, you know, I think a, a good example um, is train a child in the way he should go, and he should not depart from it. That's one of the proverbs. I think I think we all know those parents who have really done a great job trying to raise their children, and yet for whatever reason, that child has gone off the rails. Okay. So these aren't ironclad promises because, quite frankly, the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world get 
in in the way. These are these are proverbs and proverbial in nature, which which help us to see how things tend to go, uh, but not of necessity. Um, and so it's it's good for us to remember that even while um, we might see some exceptions to the rules here, this doesn't um, you know these don't disprove the rule, and and also these don't disprove God's promises, right? Which um, God's promises, while these Proverbs involve us and our agency and so on, God's promises in the gospel, which are, are done unilaterally by him, um, our grace and our mercy and our forgiveness through the work of Jesus, um, these things always hold up and, and will never be taken away from us. So I think that's a good distinction for us to understand as we go forward. Yeah, I think that that's a very helpful introduction to the book of Proverbs as a whole, and particularly to this text. That distinction between Proverbs and promises, I think, is important. It's one that we've wrestled with a little bit here on Sharper Iron, that you know these generally— this is the way things generally go, that when you do these things, this is generally what happens. And you can fall off two ways on that. You can you can fall off such that in sort of like a, a prosperity gospel type falling off that you think, oh, if, if I just do all the right things, then I'm sure to get the right results. And you can fall off on that sure. side. But you can also fall off on the other side that you think, well, there's all these exceptions, and so I'm not even going to bother with it. No, that's sure. not that's not it either. And I think where, where you point us is that there is this promise of God in the gospel that cannot be disproven, cannot be broken, and that's where it holds all together. And and even I mean, one of the ones that that comes back to to my mind is the promise that's connected with the fourth commandment that when you honor your father and your mother, you'll have oh, a absolutely. long life. Well, I mean, that's that's right. not always true in this life that right. those who honor their parents live a long time. But where where does that promise finally get fulfilled? It, it is in the resurrection, that those who, who live in the way of righteousness that God gives them in the gospel, they do end up with long life. And, and I mean, that, that all comes from that promise that can't be broken, which is found in the gospel. Yeah, and I think I, I think you're exactly right. I think it—and and this gets into something that I think is important for us to— um, Keep in mind as we as we read these, um, it's it's important for us not to either under spiritualize them or over spiritualize yeah. them, right? Um, so, you know, when when Solomon is is talking about um, you know talking about, for example, um, you know, today we're going to be reading about how um, you know a wise man has no lack of treasure in his house, but the income of the of the wicked man is you know um, you know in and out essentially uh, you know I think that um, on the one hand we we don't want to under spirit well over spiritualize that and say that this well I, let's start with under spiritualize we don't want to under spiritualize this and say that this has nothing to do with like the, the spiritual treasures I mean if you go just a little bit later in this chapter it does you know, very uh, explicitly uh, state as much. And, you know, we see the uh, an echo in the words of Jesus as well. At the same time, in the totality of, of Proverbs, um, you know, I, I think that you really can see that that Solomon says, look, if you tend to lead your life in this way, you know, you're, you're going to um, tend to, you know, fare better uh, in, a, in a worldly way than those who, who don't. Um, and tend to again. These aren't ironclad promises, but these are, are proverbs. And you know, that's I, I think it's important for us to just recognize that. 
um, and, and not dismiss that. I, I think you're right that many of us dismiss this sort of thing um, in, in the Lutheran realm for, for two reasons. Um, one is that it, it kind of sounds like um, prosperity gospel, which we, we really don't want to embrace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and rightfully so. Um, but on the other hand, and, and also I think that um, we want to, many Lutherans sort of dismiss this sort of thing um, because it, it sort of implies that, um, you know, it, it sounds kind of like works righteousness or something like this. Um, so I think that there's reasons why we Lutherans might tend to over-spiritualize what we're getting uh, from, from the book of Proverbs. Um, and so I think that's something that we ought to be on guard against. Uh, but at the same time, not under-spiritualizing it either, because really and truly the heart and the core of of the book of Proverbs is Christ. Um, yes. And, and you know, I would even go so far as to say that uh, the, the um, and that's actually, that's something we could probably talk about a little bit, is that the sort of the image of the ideal man that, that emerges from Proverbs um, is different than other images of the ideal man that were formed in, in the ancient world. Um, and really we see that Christ himself um, is one, is the one who you know, sort of fulfills this, this image. Um, and, and therefore, um, you know, as this ideal man um, who has fulfilled all righteousness can be our righteousness as well. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, that might come up again as we, as we read, I'm going to go ahead and start reading some of the text sure. for yeah. us today. Good so, idea. so that we make sure we get to what's here in these verses from Proverbs 15. I'll read about half of it for this side of the break. Proverbs 15 beginning can you, at... Uh, can, you, can you go through verse 11? I yes, that'd okay. Be That'll be a good... Yeah, I, that's what I, That's a, a good breaking point. So one, 1 through 11 here for this side. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord but he loves him who pursues righteousness. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. That's Proverbs 15 verses 1 through 11. I think there is a, a good breaking point there, Pastor Jackson. So yeah. there's there's tons to talk about here, obviously more than, oh than we'll get to today. <laughs> but I mean, so you you can tell me where where do you want to start here? Because I mean, I see there's definitely the topic of how we speak, which is something Solomon's talked a lot about. Yeah. There is the topic. I mean, you you brought up earlier verse six about the righteous, the treasure that the righteous has compared to the income of the wicked. Verses eight and nine hang together as to what's an abomination to the Lord. You you tell us where do you want to start here? Yeah. So I actually. Um if we would start at verse three, which, which also has an echo in verse 11, that's why I want you to stop there. So, um, yeah, essentially, and I think there's a good reason to, because, uh, um, verse three is, is really inserted in this, um, 
four verse, the first four verses there, uh, in a way to call attention to it. It's sort of the center of that that four verse thing. The, the first two talk about the tongue, uh, as well as the fourth. And then there's right in the center of this is this verse about the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And that might seem to be out of place. Like why is this sort of inserted in this section of um, discussing of the tongue um, and so on, but that's absolutely intentional, and um, it's it's there for us to call attention to it as the center of of this. And I think that really that's the key that will animate the the rest of our discussions here. Mm-hmm. So in in verse three we have the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. In verse eleven. Uh, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of the children of man. So basically it's saying, look, um, even the, the the depths of the earth and the depths of the seas, um, you know, the lower parts of the earth, uh, you know, these places, God's eyes can see there. And if God's eyes can see there, well, then he can also see your heart as well. Okay. And that's, boy, that is just a theme that runs throughout the wisdom literature. It's a theme which um, which we see discussed time and time and time again, um, and in different ways, actually. So um, Psalm 139, we certainly have an echo of Psalm 139 here, um, which, let me... Uh, page to that real quick. Um, In Psalm 139, um, David wrestles with the ideas of God's um, omnipotence, you know, his all-powerfulness, his omniscience, that he knows everything, his omnipresence, that he's present everywhere. And ultimately, David comes down on the side of faith there. So, um, you know, just let's take a look at like the first uh, two verses there. So, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and rise up, you discern my thoughts from uh, my my thoughts from afar. So, again, this idea of God um, seeing all of our ways and, and even seeing our hearts as well. Okay, we fast forward to um, verse seven in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Um, so again, there's this uh, idea that, that God sees you know, the entire cosmos, from the heavens above down to the depths of the earth uh, far below. God sees it all. Okay. Um, he goes on to talk about how you form my inward parts. So you you've seen the 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 inner you know my my inner heart. You've seen within me, O oh Lord. Um, and and ultimately um, David comes down as he ponders this. He comes down on the side um, of faith. Okay. So uh, you know towards the end of Psalm one thirty nine, there's this section. Um, where he's talking about how God, he you know, he wants God to slay the wicked and you know the unrighteous men to depart from him, um, and he goes, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. And it might seem odd that we have this beautiful reflection on God's knowledge of uh, the entire world and all of our ways and our hearts, 
then all of a sudden he's talking about how you know he desires for these wicked men to depart. That really actually does hold together because uh, David is saying, look, I'm pondering this um, idea, and while the wicked man, um, you know, might hate you for this fact, oh God, you know, I accept it and I embrace it, you know. Um, he says, yeah, God, you can see me. Go ahead and search me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David comes down on the side of faith, on the side of faith, knowing that by faith God um, will make him righteous and, and lead him in ways of righteousness, as we, we see described in sort of earthly detail in the Proverbs. Now, he could have fallen on the other side of this question, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we actually see um, Job wrestling with the same issue in, for example, Job chapter 14, at the very beginning of the corpus of the, of the wisdom literature there. Okay, and and Job, Job is one of these books that we we do well not to ponder its individual parts uh, too greatly, but rather to take it as a whole. I mean, Job mm. undergoes, in a sense, a transformation through the course of the book. Um, and so, you know, as Job ponders this question in Job fourteen, he's I don't think he actually comes to the point where he's denying faith, but he's he's really wrestling with these concepts. So, um, Job chapter fourteen, he he says, um, "Man is born of a woman, is few of days and full of troubles. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not." Um, so again, there's this connection of Psalm one thirty nine about you know. Um, the the birth of man and and the number of his days. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. All right. Now see the difference there between like what Job is saying and and David is saying. David's saying like, God, look at me. And I know that you can make me righteous. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, despite of the uncleanness that you see in me. Job is is saying, um, you know, um, you know, who can make someone something clean that's unclean? All right. Since his days are numbered and the numbers of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. So again, this this theme from Psalm one thirty nine that that God has numbered his days, um, and then he comes down to this statement, verse six: Look away from him and leave him alone that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day, okay? Um, Ultimately, towards, and we actually have a a similar um, discussions in verse 13, oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be passed, Job says to God. But then he goes on to say, well, look, you know, your floods can uncover every buried thing, and so you can, you know, still your your prying eyes of God are going to see me there. So th- that was kind of a, a lengthy way to talk about the fact that this idea of God seeing all of our ways is something that is a, a consistent theme in the wisdom literature, and um, there are really two responses to that. The one response on the one hand is like, as we discussed in the introduction, 
like Adam and Eve, to, in fear from God, flee from him. Um, the, the reaction of, of the sinful mind, as it talks about in Romans chapter 8, which is, which is to be enmity against God. Or on the other hand, there is the, the reaction of faith, saying, Lord, um, you have searched me and you have known me. And so, therefore, lead me in paths of righteousness. I, I trust you to, to, to make me into what you desire. Okay. And the good news is that in Christ, this has been done, right? So, so God, even while he has, has seen the iniquity of our hearts, even though God has um, seen um, all of our evil, um, yet God has had regard for, for the, the man who is good, Jesus, right? Um, and on his account has, has made us righteous and given us forgiveness and given us um, Jesus' righteousness. And this leads to a transformation of, of heart so that now as we lead out our lives, um, we, we can please God uh, when works are done in faith. Um, you know, these are pleasing to God. Which is something that we um, are are going to see um, a little bit more as we go along. I'm going to pause there because I'm sure you've got things to things to say. Well, no, I, that those two verses in Proverbs 15, three and eleven, do stand out for that similar theme. They do have a different character about them than the rest of the text, and the way that you open them up as to what does that mean that God actually sees into our hearts? Is this a good thing? Or is it a bad thing? That depends on whether or not you're on the side of faith or not, whether or not you trust in Christ as the one who has justified you. That's what makes all the difference. That really does set the stage for everything else that we're going to talk about here in Proverbs 15. So we're going to go ahead and and take our break, and we'll come back to that stuff on the other side. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We will be right back. Please stick around. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, September 21st. We're studying Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. We've got Pastor Christopher Jackson with us. He serves at St. John's Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin. We may not get to every single verse today in Proverbs 15. So if we miss something or if there's a proverb you want to know more about, 
give us a call at 314-996-1542. That's the listener comment line. Leave us a message there or send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Leave a message there. Let us know what proverb you want to hear more about, and I'll be recording some short five-minute or so segments, bonus podcast material that'll come out online for you to check out on those proverbs you want to know more about. Pastor Jackson, one of the themes that is here in Proverbs 15, it shows up a lot of places in the book of Proverbs, is the theme of speech. And so you've set the foundation for us. God is the one who looks into our hearts. He knows who we are. When we are on the side of faith, know who we are in Christ. That is a good thing. That sets the stage for the rest that we've got today. And one of the matters we want to look at is this matter of speech, which shows up in several verses. Take it away. Yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously you write in the first four verses here, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Tongue of the wise commends knowledge, with the mouths of fool pour out folly. Uh, we just read verse 3 about, you know, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And then he goes on to say, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Um, so, uh, hey, uh, Pastor Abel, can I give a plug for my, uh, uh, my, my Twitter feed? Go for it. All right, so guys, go follow me at Rev C Jackson on Twitter. If you if you look there, um, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I talk talk a little bit about is uh, is music, um, and my favorite contemporary classical composer is a is a man by the name of Arvo Pert, who is a uh, who is a devout Christian um, of the uh, of the Orthodox uh, confession. Um, so obviously we're going to have some theological differences with him, and, and those are important to recognize. But at the same time, uh, you know, a believer in Christ and uh, and a fellow lover of Him. And um, so Arvo Pert, uh, in a couple of interviews, one interview he talked about how he's approached his music. He said, you know, sound um, sound can kill, and and if that's the case, then there, it must be able that that sound can also give life, right? And, and really the fundamental human instrument, the first, the first musical instrument that every human encounters is his or her own voice. And here, um, here Solomon is encouraging uh, his sons and encouraging us as well to use our voices not to destroy um, not to cause chaos, but rather to give life in, in, in such a way, uh, imitating God himself, right, who, who created and who gives life by means of his voice, by means of his word, which is Christ himself. Right. And um, in another, in, in a graduation address, uh, the same composer, Arvo Peart, um, he said, you know, the composer... Um, is like a is like a musical instrument, and that instrument cannot make good music unless it is well tuned. Um, and the way for the the composer to be a well tuned instrument is to um, have a soul which is well tuned, right? And this is what happens to us by means of faith. By means of faith. Our souls are tuned to the the great composer of of this of this cosmos, God Himself, and this is something. Obviously, it's it's begun only in part now, 
and we, we look to the resurrection for its fulfillment, but it has begun, that we begin to, um, we as Christians, begin to um, love God's ways and, and love um, God's thoughts and mind and heart. And, and so our souls um, become tuned to God, and so that we too can be, be participants with him in the gift of life. And I know that's, that's a very, that's a very, um, <laughs> that, that sounds almost impious to, to say that we can, you know, participate along with them, but, but surely this is the case. I mean, just think of, of procreation, for example, and, and go back and read like Martin Luther's, um, Martin Luther's uh, commentaries on Genesis on how procreation is, is participating with God in, in you know, the ongoing work of creation. And um, as, as Christians in the church, as we communicate the gospel, um, the Lord is, is speaking through us his words of life to give eternal life to others. And so when our hearts are transformed um, by means of the gospel, this then enables um, our tongues to be used not to cause discord and not to cause strife, not to cause wrath and anger, but rather instead to build one another up, to give knowledge, to give wisdom and and even to give life right and we can see how the use of the tongue can give life rather than um rather than you know the opposite of that which would be to you know hurt and harm others so um let's just talk about the eighth commandment for example you know one of the most important things for our well-being in this world is our reputation Right. So let's say I'm an electrician and I get um, I get a reputation for doing shoddy work as an electrician. You know, I um, I don't follow code. I take shortcuts. Maybe I use uh, I try to slip in used fixtures here and there rather than using new fresh fixtures and things like that. Um, if I gain that reputation, well, what's going to happen? All of a sudden, my accounts are going to dry up. My jobs aren't going to be flowing in as as I need, um, and that's going to have all kinds of uh, cascading effects in the rest of my life, right? So now maybe I'm not able to give my daughter piano lessons, right, because I don't have the money for that. And so now she's not able to become like a church organist, or I'm not able to pay my medical bills, and so we start not taking the kids in for their checkups and my income has been affected. So I'm not able to contribute to church as, as I would like and to, to contribute to the, the, the life of the church in that way. Right. All because, all because of this damaged reputation. And so um, this is why it's so important for us, you know, as, as Luther instructs us in the small catechism, um, not to, you know, uh, not to to tear down our neighbor with our words, but rather to build up our neighbor with our words, because our reputations are are just utterly precious and and necessary for our well-being, right? 
And not only not only with regards to this earthly life, but also with regards to our eternal life as well. Mm-hmm. So we can use the the tongue um, to to curse or to swear or to speak of foolish things. Um, or on the other hand, we can use the tongue to pray and to bless and to share the good news of the gospel, to confess the faith. And when the tongue is used in such a way as we, we build, as St. As Paul says, that we build one another up, um, you know, as he says, like with psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs, um, you know, we, God is using us in such a way that the word of God would dwell in each other richly, right? Um, and, and therefore give life, um, really life, eternal life, to be a means by which the Lord communicates this, um, this life to, to others. And that's a wonderful blessing that the Lord gives the Christian in this, this transformed life. Uh-huh. Another, way is, another way is through prayer. I, I think that as we talk about speech and we go on um, through, the, uh, through the rest of the Proverbs, we can, we can maybe perhaps like jump down to verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. So once again, this, you know, faith makes the difference, right? So, um, you know, the sacrifice of the wicked, you know, even while outwardly it might be an appropriate sacrifice um, in, in ancient Israel, if that's a sacrifice which is not given in faith, um, but rather is given, you know, just simply out of obsequious, um, you know, obligation or, or given to impress others, well, then that sacrifice is not pleasing to the Lord. Um, but if on, in, in fact, <laughs> far from pleasing, it's actually, you know, an abomination or I, I think like, uh, one of the commentary, I'm sure you read it. I think it says like a stench to God or something mm-hmm. like this. Um, but on the other hand, um, our prayers, um, when, when these are lifted up to God in faith, these are acceptable and pleasing to him. As the Psalms say, you know, let, let my prayers rise before you as incense and lifting up of my hands as evening sacrifice. And what's the difference there? The difference between one and the other is faith. Right. And that, I mean, that, that is the, the key. And I, I want to bring that back to the image that you gave us, the idea of, of being tuned, that, that our, in, our voice is an instrument that needs to be tuned. It can only be tuned by God. The only way that our voice begins right. to speak in this way is when we let God do the tuning, which happens as we read his word, as we receive instruction, which is another big theme in the book of Proverbs, is to receive the wisdom, even when it's a rebuke or a correction, as discipline, as that tuning that will bring about this sort of life-giving speech that he talks about. So I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the text for us, because there are a couple more verses that pick up that theme. And then let's let's talk a little bit more about that idea of, of letting God doing the tuning through his wisdom in his word. So this is Proverbs 15, Uh, Now verses 12 through 19. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 
a glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. That's the end of our text for today. I was through Proverbs 15, verse 19. So this this matter of letting the Lord's wisdom do the tuning shows up in several places, particularly, I think, in, in our text, there are what I just read, I should say, verse 14 that stands out, that the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. The, the one who is wise, who has faith, looks for the knowledge of God, whereas the mouths of fools, what, what is, and here it's not the image of tuning, but like you, you feast on the folly. And, and when folly goes in, well, then all that come, come out is also <laughs> folly. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, and and we see this uh, really throughout this section here. I mean, there's there's um, little echoes of this, uh, you know, in the first section that we looked at. You know, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever reads reproof is prudent. And uh, you know, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but or, or no, rather, but uh, there's uh, severe discipline for him who forsakes the way, but whoever hates reproof will die. So the flip side of that is if you love correction and, and love reproof, well, you will live, right? Um, and so um, at this point, I'd, I'd sort of like to, um, I'd, I'd like to um, really, I, I said we you know, shouldn't necessarily over-spiritualize, but here I'd like to kind of um, um, take us in a, a somewhat more of a, a spiritualized direction here, right? So, um, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, right? And as we we hear those words in in verse fourteen, um, you know, we can't help but but remember how wisdom is portrayed um, in in the beginning uh, chapters of, of Proverbs as uh, you know this personified wisdom, and and the imagery here gets a little convoluted to make the Christological connection, but I, I think it's there. I, I, part of what's hard is that there's sort of a switch in, in um, you know, like gender of, of the right. way that wisdom is discussed sometimes in the, in the scriptures. But, you know, remember that, uh, that Proverbs is, is written to like 14 to 16 year old boys, right? And so, um, you know, in the beginning of the Proverbs, Solomon uh, talks about wisdom and knowledge um as as like lady wisdom right and he puts in front of his sons these two different images on the one hand you've got you know um you know uh hussy folly (laughs) over here (laughs) on the left and on the right you have here you know lady wisdom and you know he wants his his sons to um to be allured by, and, and I don't think, I mean, I, that might be a little bit scandalous to say this, but I don't, I mean, seeing how Song of Solomon's is, is mm-hmm. part of uh, the wisdom literature, I don't think it's wrong to say this. I mean, he really does want his sons to be allured by, by wisdom, 
right? And this wisdom is the wisdom by which it, it, this wisdom was present with God in the creation of this world. And this wisdom was the means by which God created this world. And we go to, if, if we fast forward to John, um, John chapter 1, John opens our eyes to understand that this wisdom by which the world was made was none other than the Son of God himself, the same Son of God who became incarnate for us and, uh, and took on our human flesh that he might bring the, the light of God once again into this world which has been darkened by sin. And so, you know, as the... the, the as the the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, you know, in essence, uh, as we, uh, as our hearts are turned in faith to Christ, um, then this true wisdom and this true knowledge of God is imparted to us, and and this is where things get a little bit um, maybe um, you know kind of hard for us to to fathom sometimes, but this. You know, this Word of God, which, which took on human flesh, is the entire Word of God, and this includes both God's law and His gospel, mm. right? Yeah. So the, the gospel in Christ, you know, gives us faith and it gives us righteousness, but, but also if we, are to, if we are going to gladly embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then also at the same time, um, we cannot forsake His law. Uh, for he is the source of the law as well, uh, the, 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 the word of God by which this law has been re- revealed to the world. And, and so even while we are, are glad to receive the blessings of God and the gospel, we must also gladly receive God's correction and, and God's reproof um, and God's, uh, you, know, um, you know, correction of us in, in the law. And you know, I mean, this is this is right in you know our our classic LCMS you know books like Law and Gospel. You you can't you can't embrace the gospel unless you have first also encountered the law of God as well. And so, and that doesn't change for us. That doesn't change for us once we become a Christian. Um, if anything, we we come as Christians to now. Um, love the law of God. And so even as we understand that we are going to be reproved by it at times, it's going in our lives as Christians, we are not going to lead lives of perfection in this life. And so, yeah, we're going to find reproof and correction from it. Um, And and sometimes it's going to that's going to be hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was reading, you know, the, the gospel lesson um, for the three-year lectionary this last, uh, this last week, you know, Jesus, it ended with uh, the words, you know, yeah, so also God will do to you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Oh, that hit me hard. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. Uh, you know, uh, forgiveness is, um, is not easy. Um, and, and so we're going to have those moments in our life. But even while we uh, we do have that uh, those moments of, of reproof and correction, um, this doesn't mean that we're not Christian. It just simply means that we we continue to need this reproof and correction. We gladly embrace it, understanding that that also by this, um, God is is knocking away at the 
old dross of our hearts so that the the you know the new heart within can can show forth evermore in our lives yeah i mean keep going we have we have to have that correction we have to have that reproof and it's only in to go back to the what we talked about at the very beginning with verses 3 and 11 it's only when we've we're starting with faith that that reproof that correction becomes a good thing otherwise it may just seem like well god's mad at me he doesn't like me he he wants to hurt me or something no this is not it at all he's disciplining me he's giving me his law to point me toward his gospel to to show me my need for the savior and then as you said to to let that that new heart that he's given begin to show forth in this life it's not fully but it does begin to show and and when we start with faith then that that law actually does become a good thing that we that we do love and and we we want we desire because that's that's the wisdom that God has imparted to us in in Christ Pastor Jackson, we've got just about five minutes left in the morning, just, just to give you the heads up. And I, sure. I, I know that you'd, you'd mentioned toward the beginning about wanting to spend a little bit of time talking about how Christ is the man, the ideal man that we see here in the book of Proverbs. And that, <laughs> yeah. that might be a good way to, to sort of wrap some of these themes together and to, to close our morning. Yeah. Um, so... I mentioned, uh, yeah, I mentioned that earlier, and um, I think that this is a really important thing for us to uh, uh, for us to look at. You know, throughout the ancient world, there were various accounts of what um, what a virtuous man would look like, right? So, the ancient Greeks, the sort of virtuous life was to be, um, in essence, like a, a, a land holding. Um, even slave owning um, individual who, because of your wealth, was freed up to pursue knowledge and their understanding of knowledge and wisdom uh, and, and their philosophy. Okay, uh, but you did that by way of, in, in essence, sort of exploiting others. Okay, mm-hmm. um, the Romans, you know, sort of the ideal man is uh, is, is uh, a statesman, someone who lives for the the glory of the empire. Um, and and works for for that and, and for his family as well. Uh, it's a little bit more practical than the Greek understanding of of, of the good life, but at the same time, um, really, uh, you can only be virtuous or or so on in the Roman understanding if you have power, if you have wealth, um, if you are able, and, and actually also <laughs> only as long as you are able to exploit others as well. Mm. Boy, do we get a different vision in the wisdom literature, yeah. right? So, um, if you just read the totality of, of like, for example, the Proverbs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, um, the Song of Solomon, um, the ideal man um, emerges as someone who is, um, you know, maybe prosperous, but he's not prosperous through exploiting others, but rather through fair dealings um, and through thrift. And through hard work, um, the proverbs are always putting before us the images of like merchants and farmers and skilled laborers, like uh, you know skilled laborers and so on. Okay, um, a man who is monogamous to the wife of his youth, right? And isn't this interesting that our Savior came to us not as some high statesman, 
it came to us not as some land owning slave owning you know philosopher okay but rather he came as the son of a carpenter um <laughs> uh, and uh he came um as uh you know he was no one was able to bring any true charge against him. He he dealt well with others, blessing others through his his dealings with them. Um, and even while he didn't have an earthly wife, yet he has been faithful to um, his bride, the church, right? And uh, devoted to his bride, the church. And so... Uh, I think it's just marvelous that here, as we find this vision of the ideal man sort of emerging from the wisdom literature, um, which which is the point of like a lot of the wisdom literature. I mean, this was as we said, you know, Solomon trying to form his sons into you know the men that he he thought they ought to be. Um, that that we see Jesus really fulfilling this vision of of what the ideal man is. Um, and, and so in a, in essence, we have prophecy here in the, uh, wisdom literature, prophecy that Christ has fulfilled. And, um, and this is good news because he has, uh, indeed, um, he came as a man who, who fulfilled all righteousness, which we have not been able to do so that we might receive his righteousness and he taking our sins from us. Can, can free us from our sins and iniquities so that we can live in his everlasting kingdom. Pastor Chris Jackson is the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Algoma, Wisconsin, and St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Forestville, Wisconsin, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. Pastor Jackson, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me on, Pastor Apple. Christ is the ideal man pictured here in Proverbs. He fulfills the wisdom here. He is the wisdom from God given to you freely for your righteousness, and in faith in him you are free. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.